Johnny's. It's Friday the 16th of December and this is Game On. The World Cup final awaits this weekend with Messi versus Mbappe as France and Argentina go for glory. Alan Cawley and Keith Tracy are standing by to talk us through what could unfold. Now we are reaching the business end of the club championships. Ursula Jacob will be on hand to talk hurling and camogie all of the weekend's action. Michael Corcoran is at the RDS for Leinster versus Gloucester and Jane Mangle will bring us up to date on what, if any, racing will go ahead this weekend. If you want to get in touch, please text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. Game on, on 2FM. Welcome along. Alan Cawley is with me in studio. Alan, excited about the weekend's action? I sure am, Marie. Um, it's been an incredible month, really, of football. And here we are just two days away from the final. I think that <laughs> probably everybody wanted with the fact that Messi is there uh, depending on the opposition some people may be saying Brazil or England or wherever else he wanted but I think a lot of people just wanted to see Messi in it and the fact that it's France and Mbappe the next in mm-hmm. line you would think um, I think it sets it up lovely and, and the fact that it's been so good the World Cup it'd be brilliant to see it end on such a high and him lift the trophy I've, I've given it all away already Marie. all the questions <laughs> you're going to ask me are who I want to win everybody knows who I want to win and um, I hope hopefully he gets his crowning moment on Sunday Yeah okay we're going to have more of that with yourself Alan with Keith Tracy very very shortly but uh, I want to look back on something that happened a couple of days ago on Wednesday the Republic of Ireland manager Vera Pau was named among several managers and coaches in a report by the NSSL that discovered widespread ongoing misconduct it alleges that while manager of Houston Dash from November 2017 to September 2018 Pau shamed players for their weight and attempted to exert excessive control over their eating habits while today she spoke to RTE soccer correspondent Tony O'Donoghue and Vera Pau gave her side of the story I'm especially extremely angry because what is written in that report is the opposite um, there has been uh, of, of who I am um, I get a letter in from those attorneys um, if I would be open to have um, to give my opinion on accusations. Nothing was written about the accusations. So immediately reacted and said, I want to have this meeting immediately. So um, <clears throat> this was in the evening. The next day we had a video call. I have asked for a video call because I wanted them to look me in the eyes and meet to them. There were four people in, in that panel. Uh, one did not switch on the camera. And um, they, um, they were sitting there to, well, to interview me. So I said, out of politeness, I didn't have to do that, but out of politeness, I'll let you know that I'm recording this talk because it is one against four. And um, this is something, if I'm accused of, some, of something and they investigate it, uh, that means it's a serious case. So I um, wanted to have it recorded so that my words would always be there in, in case it would be misinterpreted. Um, and they said, well, you're the first one who's asking that. I don't think that we agree with that. And I said, well, why not? We can't agree with that. But I have to write to record it. We're here in Euro- I'm here in Europe, and I have to re- write to record. I don't know what your rules are, but here I don't even have to tell you. Um, <clears throat> so they said, we take a break. After 15 minutes, they came back and they said, we decided that you cannot record it. So I asked again if that was written somewhere, and they said, we stopped, the, we stopped this talk because clearly you do not um, uh, trust our objectivity. Boof. They didn't even say goodbye, they switched it off. So I tried to get in contact, they did not come back, and I decided to write 
uh, all my experiences that I have had in the NWSL, which was not very positive. Um, there's and the there's a suggestion uh, from the report that you you didn't cooperate with them. Yeah. Well, I cooperated in, in, in extremely. I've even done the interview by writing everything down that I have experienced in the NWSL because still I did not know what it what this was about. Um, and now the day before yesterday, they came out with a report. They didn't even email me or answer me or call me or that they had received it and whether they would take it on board or not. And clearly they did not take it on board because the accusations that are now coming out um, was things that I was explaining how I am working and it was the opposite in, in my writing to them. Um, one of the many things that I wrote because I didn't know what it was about. So also I had written down everything. So it was 13 pages that I handed in. So I cooperated in extremely way. They did not cooperate because they did not want me to record something that is could change my life. Um, in that so report, the club Houston Dash have apologized for their actions of the coaches. You were one of the coaches. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I feel very, very offended by it. Because also Houston Dash, when I was there, after I left, now around this investigation, nobody ever asked to me if anything happened in that in that direction. Um, and I never, <clears throat> I never punish, I never swear, I never shout. That is my let's say almost mantra. Um, and about what is written there, um, that players were too big, that players uh, had to lose weight. I never speak about losing weight. I always speak about healthy nutrition, feeding yourself enough, getting enough intake before the game, eating more. Women in, in general don't eat enough. Eating more, like I do now in Ireland also. Um, after the game, eating enough for recovery. After every training session, getting protein shakes to get your, your muscles recovered. Um, so what is accused there they even said that i had said that you couldn't eat fruit because of the fruit sugars and that would make you gain weight i mean what nonsense is that probably somebody had said one play and then they projected it to me but i have never ever said anything like that in fact when we have shorter fruit here i'm the first one to ask for more fruit considering the year you've had the success in making history and qualifying uh, considering the leadership that you showed in dealing with the dressing room incident. Um, does this take the shine off your achievement this year for Ireland? It shouldn't be. It, sh it shouldn't be because it's rubbish. <laughs> but I cannot, probably people need to, to trust me and believe me. Um, I hope it doesn't take off because those players deserve to get the absolute shine of what they have performed. They have made history. They've made the impossible possible. And together with my staff, we've supported that. Um, I hope that the Irish people uh, believe me and believe the player that has stand up for me. Um, and yeah, we need to move on and see where, where it goes. But I have nothing to hide. Um, and I'm so enthusiastic about this, this, uh, this team. Um, so yeah, I hope we get the space to, uh, to experience it to the full. Now, that was Europe speaking to Tony O'Donoghue a little bit earlier on. Alan Colley is with me in studio and Keith Tracy joins us on the line. We're going to look ahead now to the big game on Sunday afternoon at the World Cup final. It's been billed as Messi versus Mbappe, um, but it feels like a little bit more than that, Al. 
Oh, it's absolutely more than that and I think that would be totally disrespectful to all the other players on the pitch as well because as good and all as Messi is and has been for a number of years and Mbappe is currently obviously um, the heir to the throne if you like you can't do it on your own Marie you absolutely can't especially in this day and age I don't think you could have done it in any day and age but especially not in this day and age when the players are, are so athletic and so fit and so strong and so powerful um, I certainly don't think and as I say it would be a total insult to all the other players for anybody to suggest that obviously they're the standout players and they're the, the match winners or the ones with the X factor all the phrases you like to use but certainly in terms of them getting to the point where they're at not only in their career but for this point on Sunday they wouldn't have done it without their teammates. You look at the goalkeepers, you look at their centre-halves, defenders, midfielders, the ones giving them the protection, the ones that give them the passes that provide the ammunition for them to go and do their thing. Um, so I think it would be a total insult to suggest that. But, of course, we need the heroes and we need, obviously, the headlines and, and to build the final, if you like, that is the way it's 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 been given. It's billing like a, two boxers or whatever, uh, Messi versus Mbappe. It's absolutely brilliant. Two movie stars and a supporting cast. What about that? <laughs> yeah. uh, Keith Tracy is with us as well. So, Keith, we know from following Messi with Argentina for since he's been playing with them that it hasn't always been um, rosy. What's different now, though? Because he even says himself that he's enjoying it so much more now and he wishes it had been like this all of the time. Yeah, I think as you, just as you get a little bit older, I think Messi knows this is... Well, he's come out and said this is definitely his last World Cup and it's, he needs to win it now because he's not going to have another crack at it. And You know, when uh, everybody compares Messi and Ronaldo, when you look at the way the Argentina team are with Messi, you... Everybody wants Messi to win it. You can see Alvarez has scored four goals, been excellent when Messi hasn't torn up on the rare occasion in this tournament where he hasn't torn up, Alvarez has. And everybody wants him to win it. When you look at Ronaldo, I think Ronaldo wanted Ronaldo to win it. I don't think Bruno Fernandes, Diego Dallo, uh, the Cancelo, I don't think they were fully behind Ronaldo. They wanted to win it, but it's not like the Argentinians. They're, they're all fully behind uh, Lionel Messi and he's five goals and three assists already he's just evergreen isn't he and I, I keep you I use that word with moderate evergreen and Messi just for a, a player who relied so much on, on, he, on his pace when, when we see what he did with Guardiola when he, he got past him Guardiola had the legs to get back to slow him down to manipulate the ball to beat him in another way it just shows his football and brilliance and his football and intelligence to be able to recreate himself somewhat all the time and yeah, look, I wouldn't be upset if Argentina win it, but I have to be honest, I'm leaning ever so slightly towards France. <laughs> Are you? So you've gone from England to France. Come on, Keith. <laughs> well, just so I can say, Marie, you know, when my team got knocked out by the eventual winner, so that's why I'm leaning so heavily towards France. I was uh, I was wondering what the method would be there. Um Al, it's it's quite an interesting one that Mbappe and Messi are on the same team. Like they're they're both playing for PSG, but maybe it's because uh, Messi doesn't have that connection to PSG like he did for Barcelona. That it's not really been spoken about that much. No, I don't think so, and I don't think that's going to be a factor. It was. It was a factor during the week, I think, in the semi-final because they were facing off against each other, Hakimi and Mbappe, obviously, mm-hmm. on the same side of the pitch, and Hakimi was going to be marking Mbappe, so maybe that's why that was made. Uh, and that was a factor going into that match because the two of them are best of friends as well, by all accounts. But I think in this one, 
as you say, they're there representing their countries and their nationalities and they, they obviously want to go on and, and do the best they can for their country. So I don't think that will even come into it in terms of the clubs that they play mm-hmm. at. I'm sure there's a respect there. I doubt if they're the best of friends. Obviously, Messi's only there uh, a short period of time. But as I say, I'm sure there's massive respect amongst them when they're playing for PSG. They're doing everything in their power uh, to obviously win for the club. But I don't think that will have any bearing whatsoever uh, on Sunday. Yeah, and there's such a huge age difference between them as well. And like, you know, yourself from 23 to 35, like there's so much more life experience and it's hard to, um, I guess, have the connection when people are are that young. Um, Let's talk about this France team now that I figured out that you're supporting them in the final, (laughs) Keith. (laughs) So what is it about them that, um, that has impressed you overall? Overall, I'll be honest with you, Marie, the, the reason I didn't fancy France at all is because I, I was looking at the Nations League performances and the Nations League performance wedding up to scratch whatsoever. Didier Deschamps came out and said he was actually worried about Anton Griezmann and where he was going to go from here because he's, his performances were that poor in the Nations League and all of a sudden Anton Griezmann looks a different player, three assists and it's not just the assist that Griezmann is getting, it's his work rate in that number 10 role. I heard somebody speaking about Neymar and what he gives you as a number 10. I saw, I, my reply was, have a look at Anton Griezmann and have a look what he gives you as a number 10 because he, he, he will slip the ball through, he will make things happen, like I said, three assists, but he'll go and get the, go, the ball back for you as well. With that high press that the French like to do, he's really, really good at that. And They have so many weapons. They can sit in deep and they can give the ball to Mbappe to go and really hurt you with his pace. If the opposition sit in deep, they can put the ball into Giroud's head and England seeing how dangerous they are. And I, I have a question for you. You know, we, we are again to go back to Ronaldo and Portugal. People say, Are Portugal a better team without Ronaldo? Are France a better team without Benzema? Because I'm hearing that he's fit now, and there's a couple of murmurs that maybe he could wiggle his way into the squad. I don't think it'll happen personally, but are France a better team without Benzema? It's an interesting one, yeah. Um, certainly on the evidence of what we've seen, I think they're probably more together. Um, and I think Mbappe and Dembele like playing with Giroud up, up the front because as Keith and Norman, they come inside and you have a big man up front and you want to play balls in around the corner to him, he's great at holding it up as well and playing off them when, they're, when they lay it back for the, the little bender to the far corner or whatever. So I think... There's a fair argument for that. I think as well, and here's one view, I'll throw one back to you, Keith, because it's funny you mentioned Griezmann and Neymar as well in the same breath because you look at the players now, and I think the number 10 role has changed. When we were playing and we were younger, myself and Keith, you had the likes of Bergkamp and Cantona who were seen as the number 10 that just strolled around, everybody else did the work, and you wait for them to produce the magic or whatever, and they had that kind of um, class and flair about them, whereas the number 10 now has to fill in when they lose the ball and drop back. Obviously, Griezmann, I think, is, is probably the best at that but when you look at the, all the number 10s that's been over the years I don't think there's ever been one with the work rate that Griezmann has like you look at the work and Keith alluded to it there what he does for his team it's absolutely incredible and I know he was kind of schooled in that Atletico Madrid Simeone kind of mindset where he was probably had to do it no matter what but I think he takes it upon himself to do it as well because he has such a good attitude he's such a good lad he seems to be um, he's playing like a box to box midfielder almost incredible absolutely incredible and then he has the quality to deliver the passes and and whatever else he needs to do after that as well because at the end of the day if you're playing in that position that's your job Mm -hmm. to be creating chances and scoring goals or whatever but he's doing a bit of everything and he's been a revelation funny I saw him playing live for uh, it was against Ireland in the Euros in 2016 and and I sometimes I don't think he gets the credit he deserves because 
he was one of the best I've ever seen live he was absolutely incredible and he's small in stature but he has that lovely cultured left foot um, and the work rate he, he must be a manager's dream because to be mm-hmm. to have someone as good technically and to want to do all the work as well it's phenomenal it's a bit like um, Giroud, isn't it, Keith? Like, not getting the credit that he deserves. And I think when we realised that he was about to become the um, the male all-time international goal-scoring record for France, to have that record, everybody was a bit surprised. He, he is someone as well that doesn't seem to get as much credit but he's as he deserves, but he's been a revelation in this World Cup for France. Yeah, he has. And I, I was asked, when we when we heard that Benzema was injured, I was asked, was, do I think Giroud should go? I said, no, should, not only should he go, he should start. Because he, it takes the weight of the world off Mbappe. Mbappe is so young. I know he's one of the best players in the world. But to be going in with the weight of the world, with the weight of France on your shoulders going into the World Cup, it's it, like you see against England, Mbappe really didn't turn up. He had moments here and there. But Kyle Walker generally kept him under wraps. And France needed something. And there along comes Giroud. And... I, I, I actually I, I heard a quote the other day that Sky Sports were saying that uh, Benzema called him a go-kart he said I'm a Formula 1 car and Giroud is a, is a go-kart so he definitely <laughs> doesn't get the respect he deserves within the French team anyway but when you when you have the stats and your stats are taking you past Thierry Henry for yeah. a French goal scorer and then you're in some serious serious uh, some serious legendary names there if he's a go-kart <laughs> I'm a dinky <laughs> <laughs> People, people tend to focus on him and his image and, and everything that kind of goes with that as opposed, to, yeah, as opposed to his, his mm. football ability which like he clearly has 100% Marie you don't score the amount that he, mm. well just look at the record for France he's their all time scorer now he's broken that record yeah. and when you go through the catalogue of players that they've had over the years and he's the number one in terms of the goal scoring it just tells you all you need to know I think he's had a brilliant career and I agree with you I don't think he gets the credit he deserves probably because he's a bit bulky and awkward maybe and uh, almost like a throwback to an, an old school centre forward but when it comes to scoring the goals he's always there no matter what club he's been with and obviously at international level as well So we've spoken about some of the key players uh, for France what about Alvarez from Argentina I know Alan mentioned him but like again just 22 years of age four goals already in, in this campaign talk about a player whose star is just going to rise and rise Keith yeah, and you've you seen his goal against Croatia. It wasn't it wasn't exactly a thing of beauty. It was like Ricochet running through. There were so many deflections. But it was the per- perseverance I really liked from him. He just kept going and going and eventually just bundled her over the line. But he has that little touch of class as well. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, say, oh, who, who's the player of the tournament? Who's one that people would be desperate to sign? And I know Alvarez has just gone to City, but his price tag now will just have gone absolutely through the roof and City will be rubbing their hands together. Million, I think. He went yeah. For, yeah. Sorry? 12 million, I think he went for. 12 million. Yeah. Can you imagine what he'd be worth now? City, and the funny thing is, City are obviously over the moon with Haaland, and Haaland is the number one striker. Alvarez will probably end up going on loan and be worth probably 60, 70 million. It's, it's a crazy, crazy war we live in. But to go back to the original question, look, there's so many outstanding uh, players in the Argentinian team, but it all does still rely on Messi I'm very I know what the Mendy and Romero the two centre-halves are having a very very good tournament but I still have question marks over them I think they can be got at I think Giroud will bully Otamendi. I think the Argentinians are very, very emotional going this, going into this tournament for for obvious reasons. They're desperate to win it. 
and I think they will just get a little bit over emotional and if France get their noses in front I think they could they could easily see a sending off and the game just withering away and France really putting them to the sword I hope that doesn't happen I hope Argentina stay in it and you know it's decided by uh, the odd goal here or there but I can just I can see France putting them to the sword because of the centre-half pairing of Otamendi and Romero They've got such um such a great work, work ethic, Alan. You know, they've got these players that will run all day for you and they'll do all the, the dirty work and whatever you want them to do, they'll do it. But, I mean, if you were playing and you had Messi around you and you just had to do that bit of extra work to ensure that he does something special, you'd do it. Yeah, and I think Keith mentioned that a few moments ago in the, you look at the players' reaction towards Messi compared to maybe the Ronaldos or whoever. Um, he inspires them, Marie. Mm-hmm. If you, as you said, if you had him on your team, <laughs> you're going to do anything. Yeah, you've got um, that extra mile. And then, obviously, you'll, you'll do your own stuff for your own personal reasons and there's yeah. no bigger personal gain than obviously winning the World Cup for your country and um, it would be absolutely incredible achievement I think they have a little bit more than that as well uh, but I, I like the way Scaloni set them up in the last mm. game as well because he played four across the middle I thought he'd match up and go 4-3-3 but he played four across uh, and played Paul out on the right hand side and he'll be key tomorrow because obviously he'll have to take care of Mbappe as well and he will do that donkey work no problem he'll be up and down uh, he was really really strong in the semi-final so he was and I think think he'll be really good for them down that right hand side as well helping out Molina because obviously he's the danger man and I think like obviously Kyle Walker was able to take care of him I think they'll be between the two of them Paul and Molina I think they'll take care of Mbappe as well and that's nullifying a massive threat for France obviously I know they've good players in other positions as well but I think if you take those if you take him out of it I think they have a great chance and Keith even mentioned the emotional side of things I think if you flip that over as well in terms of I know there's a lot of pressure on them but they've, they've handled and coped with that pressure so far it looked like it was going to spiral out of control against the Netherlands and mm-hmm. uh, it looked like they were having a meltdown for 10 or 15 minutes <laughs> but they got, got themselves back together and got through but the amount of support they have in the stadium yeah. as well Marie and by all accounts I think there's going to be 80 to 20 in terms of the support that's going to be there on Sunday as well that they're going to pack the place out so that's carrying them as well like there's that wave almost like uh, carrying them along in the games as well and even if you get to the stage where you're feeling a bit leggy or tired you hear this big wave of emotion as well that gets you across the line in, in another 10-50 minutes so um, I've gone for, for them all along the main reason I've gone for them is because of Messi I mentioned there to you the other night when we were previewing the semi-final that I've been totally underwhelmed with them but I felt that was the best performance to put in in the semi-final they were absolutely brilliant the other night and that was probably what we were all expecting for the whole tournament but we've only seen it obviously uh, in that semi-final so that's the reason I'm going to go for them and uh, you think of what he's achieved in his career everything he's done the joy that he has brought to people's lives for the last 20 years Marie and just think about it like rationally for one second 20 years of his life doing it every single week scoring unbelievable goals scoring 40 goals a season winning everything like if anyone and football owes, no, owes nobody anything but if there's ever anyone that, that deserved or, or was owed anything out of football it's this fella Leo Messi yeah, it would be absolutely amazing to see him do it. Whether he will or not, I'm not sure. But I'm with Alan on this, uh, Keith, that their best performance was in the semi-final. But the question is, do they have, can they exceed that? Are they going to go that little bit better? Do they, do they, have, do they have it in them, do you think, Argentina? Yeah, they definitely have it in them. They, like I said, they some outstanding players there, but... Alvarez and Messi together they, they, they seem to have a, a good rapport you see when Messi got to the end line Alvarez knew exactly where to be if if the defence of Argentina hold out i.e. Otamendi and Romero which they have done Alan's spot on with what he's saying up to now they have been excellent and 
that they're, they're just not players I fancy. I think that you know they can come in and throw a little, a little hatchet in every now and then and end up getting a really silly red card. I, I hope they keep that under wraps. But the pace of Mbappe with Griezmann coming into form in that hole, do we go? Do we stay? I think there's just going to be so many problems for the Argentinians and. Look, we've seen against Saudi Arabia in the very first game, and maybe this is still fresh in my mind, the Saudi Arabians stood on the halfway line and they said, OK, if you want to play over the top of us, we'll race us. And none of them, none of the Argentinians could get away. Messi couldn't get away. Di Maria was getting caught. Alvarez wasn't getting away. So I'm not sure how, how penetrative they can be if France play that high line. Now, France haven't got the pace of the Saudis. I don't think they'll play that high line, but... There's so many key battles all over the pitch, but I just think France have a, a better spread of their attacking options than uh, than Argentina. Oh. Yeah, like it's uh, and the more I think about it, I do think France are a better team, but my heart says that it's it's the emotion and and it's the messy factor and all that kind of stuff, the crowd and uh, that's going to take them there. And and as I said, like I can't reiterate enough, like if ever anybody deserved to win to win the World Cup, and and that was the only stick that people had to beat him with. And it used to annoy me at times because I think what he's done in the Champions League over the last ten years probably outweighs some of the World Cups because the Champions League standard is incredible compared to international football over the last 10 years um, So, and he's done it every year in the Champions League he's been incredible Messi so that used to annoy me sometimes well oh, will he never, he'll, he'll only be the greatest if he ever wins a World Cup like Maradona now's his chance now's his time I hope it's his time Marie I think everyone hopes it's yeah. his time and, and I do think I think they'll get it Keith. done Um, so we've won France won Argentina I'm with Al as well I'm kind of I'm all about Argentina now Um, Keith thank you so much for joining us Uh, we're all looking forward to it on Sunday afternoon Uh, the eyes of the world well the football fans of the world anyway will be glued to it Uh, Keith we'll talk to you again soon thanks so much for joining us Alan you might stick around for a little while we're going to take a very quick break but stay with us Uh, Gaelic Games Rugby and Horse Racing to come RTE 2FM Welcome back. It's time now to turn our attention to Camogie and to Hurling. I'm delighted to say that Ursula Jacob joins us now on the line. Ursula, how are you? Hi, Marie. How are you? Well, since I've last spoken to you, you've had a baby. So first of all, congratulations. How's it all been? Well, it's been a, a little bit manic and crazy the last nine weeks. But look, I'm, <laughs> I'm managing. So the baby is in a separate room, so she won't be interrupting well, I have to <laughs> the say, call here today. I actually love the sound of a little baby in the background. I think it's brilliant. So babies are, are always very welcome on the show. Um, oh, so never good. worry about that's it. Good. Uh, so we do have a big weekend of... Um, of Gaelic Games to come. Let's start with the Camogie Ursula because it is on yeah. tomorrow evening. Um, it's on RT television. Throw on is at half six, and it's it's quite a novel pairing. Okay, we're used to seeing um, Sarsfields up there for the last number of years, but we're not used to uh, seeing Lock Gale who are there with them, and that's probably because they've had such a tough time in Ulster trying to to dethrone Slot Neil. But they've done it this year. How do you think it's going to go? Yeah, I think, as you said, you know, we're, we've come accustomed to seeing Sarsfields at this stage. You know, it's their sixth final in seven years. And in contrast, then it's it's Lockheel's first time. And I suppose I'd, first of all, just say like Lockheel, I'd have huge, you know, admiration for a team like them that, you know, they've showed a huge amount of character and resilience to, to get to this stage because they got beaten six years in a row in the Ulster final to Schlock Neil. But they stuck at it. They stuck together as a team. And it just shows how strong of a unit they are to 
to eventually get over the line and then they backed it up with a really impressive performance in the semi-final over Drum and Inch. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting battle. Obviously, Sarsfields are going into the game probably heavy favourites, uh, full of all of the experience. Uh, you know, the team is filtered with with, with loads of uh, senior inter-county players for Galway. But obviously, one of the, the standout things for Sarsfields also this year is they've been really hampered with injury and mm-hmm. unfortunately, we won't see the likes of Orla McGrath playing tomorrow evening, you know, due to injury and Sarah Spellman, you know, another senior inter-county player missed missed the semi-final as well. So they, they are going to have to really, you know, uh, use the strength and depth of their, their panel um, to, to get over the line tomorrow. And, you know, maybe Lockheel people will say, you know, it's their first time reaching a final, but but this team has so many leaders and characters on, on the panel as well. And, you know, Antrim Camogie is on a high at the mm-hmm. moment. You know, they won the Premier Junior this year. They won the Intermediate All-Ireland last year. And there was actually 14 of this Loch Eel, uh panel that were, were part of that success as well. So even though they haven't reached this stage before, they are after playing in Crow Park and that is going to be important and a key factor in tomorrow night's game. Yeah, it really is and look, it's on in the, in the evening time in the winter so it's all going to be yeah. a little bit strange for people who have played in Crow Park before to be uh, running out into conditions like we're going to have uh, tomorrow but when you do think of, of Crow Park and look, Ursula, you've been there, done that and the yeah. expanse of it, you can't but think that it's going to suit somebody like Siobhan McGrath, the legs that yeah. she has, uh, the space of the pitch, uh, she's won seven against St. Vincent in the All-Ireland Club semi-final it's kind of made for a player like her 100% and I suppose uh, that's she's going to be the focal point of that attack for Sarsfields tomorrow and key to this is the distribution of the ball that's going in and you know the midfield pairing of Neve and Claude McGrath um, is vital to this because so much of the ball comes through the, the this midfield duo uh, and they have a huge amount of experience and also they're well used to playing in, in the surroundings of Crow Park um, and I know from playing in Crow Park and I know from seeing some of the younger girls whether it was at my club or with Wexford in the past Crow Park is a different uh, experience mm-hmm. than any other pitch that you'll play on because of you know as you said the space the size of the pitch the the surroundings everything about Crow Park is dif- different and I suppose Lockheel are really going to have to be conscious about getting, you know, a good start tomorrow night to the game because I even look back on the, the final there in March when we played Sarsfields and within two minutes, Siobhan McGrath had a, had a goal. Um, and that's that's something that Lockheel are going to have to be very, very wary of and they're going to have to keep things nice and tight at the back, even though that can be quite difficult when you're playing in a pitch like Crow Park. Yeah, I, I guess, look, the, the counter to that is that Lockheel are well able to get scores themselves particularly goals three in the semi-final against Drummondish two in the Ulster final and two familiar names to people that follow um, Andrew Camogie McCormack and Dobbin and and, and they're so capable um, on the big day in the big stage yeah, and they're not just classy players at a, at a club level. They're performing and uh, performing to such a high level on the intercounty stage. And I think we all would have been so impressed with the likes of Roshi McCormack in that intermediate All Ireland last year. She's a, a classy, uh, top class forward and someone who I really love watching. But 
in saying that, in the semi-final, when Lockheel really needed players to stand up, Katrine Dobbin and Annie Lynn on the corners really, really were were powerful, and they had one thing on their mind that every every ball that went in, it was going for goal, and they got three in the semi-final. Um, and I think for them to get over the line tomorrow evening, they will need a couple of goals. Um, and you know they're going to be they're going to be looking to get the ball into this danger area as quick as possible because you know in the semi-final when I was watching it I felt at times the ball was coming a little bit slow into him and you know Roshi McCormick wasn't on on the ball as much as you would want her to be on it so key to this again I think the midfield duel again we've Amy Boyle and Lucia McNaughton Mm -hmm. joint captains for Loch Eel and their delivery and distribution into the full forward line is going to be key to this but you know Sarsfields are going to have their homework done as well and they are going to be looking to get the matchups right on these girls because the likes of Katrine Dobbin Roisin and Annie Lynn you know you can't give them a second on the ball because if not they will punish you it sounds fairly evenly matched really when you break it down um, Ursula just given the you take into account the injuries that Sarsfields have and the, the quality players on both sides how are you going to call it? Yeah, I do think it is going to be a very close game. Um, I I think Lockheel, you know, have been pressing to get at this stage the last number of years, and I I, I really think their management team and everyone that's go- associated with him are going to be saying to the girls, you know, embrace this opportunity now. They've got to the final, you know, they have been pushing hard for the last number of years, um, and really, I suppose the pressure is more on the likes of Sarsfields because they've, you know, they're looking to do the back to back. You know, everyone expects that they'll win but Lockheel are not going there to make up numbers either um, and they will they, they will feel confident going into this game because they've had two impressive games in the, the Ulster final and the semi-final um, but still I suppose for me when I when I kind of if I'm looking to call it I still feel Sarsfield's experience um, and familiarity of playing uh, in in an All-Ireland final at this stage I think will stand to them despite the number of injuries that they've had in, in the last couple of weeks. Okay, it sounds like it is going to be a belter. And same, I think, might go for the games on Sunday as well, the hurling matches. So let's start with uh, St. Thomas's and uh, Dunloy. And Dunloy are a bit like um, Lockheel there, just haven't come up against a really tough slot Neil team for so many uh, years. But they're getting their opportunity now when they take on St. Thomas's on Sunday afternoon. 100% and I suppose probably St. Thomas's and Don Loy are probably happy enough that all the attention and focus appears to be on obviously the second game the Ballygunner Ballyhale game so both St. Thomas's and Don Loy are kind of quietly going into this semi-final and there's not really too much focus or attention on either team and as you said Don Loy eventually got over the line in the Ulster final with Schlockneil and, and they had a really impressive win that day and you know they, ultimately the two goals made the difference that day as well in, in tough conditions and as you'd expect from any kind of Antrim team you know they can they can mix their game and their style of play with that physicality but you know uh, sharp hurling as well and, and they've some top class players you know when I look at Connell Cunning and Keelan Malloy two top class players for Antrim the last number of years both in, in the Joe McDonough and Lee McCarthy competitions you know they are going to need minding and I think St. Thomas's are going to be wary of this as well because they know themselves you know uh, they, they'll they'll have nightmares remembering that semi-final against uh, Ballyhale back in, in February 
January when they they thought they had reached the final up until that TJ Reid wonder goal, really. So I think that hurt is still going to be in St. Thomas's mind that they'll want to get back to the final. Um, and as I said, you know, they've, they've got so many talented players, both for St. Thomas's over the last five years and uh, Galway seniors and, and no better than, you know, Connor Cooney. I think I saw a stat, statistic on him this year in the Galway Championship. He scored 4.79. So that's remarkable scoring and he's well capable of being a real game changer um, um, on Sunday and I expect him to play a massive part in, in this game for St. Thomas's. Okay, so that is one game. Um, I'll get you to call. Give me your two predictions at the end. So the second one yeah. is Ballyhell Shamrocks and Ballygunner. And to be fair, it is a big one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a massive one. And I suppose there's been a lot of talk around this game. Uh, probably everyone was really just hope. As a neutral, I think like myself and so many others, we, we've all been looking forward to this potential clash that was going to happen and uh, since the the All-Ireland final back in March where you know Bally Gunner really just grabbed that title off uh, Bally Hale at the last second uh, with that Harry Ruddle goal and I I think you know that will obviously be in in Bally Hale players minds uh, over the last kind of week or two and knowing that they they, they might get that little small bit of revenge back on on Bally Gunner, but Bally Gunner, you know, have been looking really, really impressive. You know, they won their Fort Munster title. They had a really impressive uh, win against Ballyhay in the in the Munster final. And I think one thing that was really uh, stand out for me how well they finished that game out. They really showed that ruthless streak that you expect from a from a champion. They don't want to just be considered a team that won that final back in March through luck. They want to back it up now and they want to get back to a final um, but they do know that they you know Ballyhale are going to pose a huge challenge to them as well and you know like Ballyhale very uncharacteristically allowed Kilmacud back into that Leinster final and nearly nearly almost lost it um, you know having been 14 points up at one stage to then only being a point up so they'll know that they'll have to improve a lot from their Leinster final performance um, if they're going to get one up on, on Ballygunner but I'm really excited about this game because I think they're two all-out hurling teams. You know, yes, there will be tactics and matchups, and uh, you know, even the, the the battle between the likes of Colin Fenley and Barry Coughlin, and we've we've saw the the pieces in the paper about you know the war of words nearly between the two the two camps and players and whatever. But I'm really just looking forward to a brilliant hurling game um, because the talent that both these teams possess is just uh, of the highest order, and like you're you're watching some of the best players of all time out in this pitch, whether it's TJ Reid, Parik Mahoney, um, you know, Adrian Mullen, Ian Kenny, Stephen O'Keefe, you know, you could name them all. They're household names to everyone. So I just think um, it's going to be a huge, huge game for both teams on, on Sunday. But as I said, uh, St. Thomas's and Don Law are in a semi-final too and, and they'll have a lot to say um, in that semi-final as well. So who's going to contest the final? Yeah, I suppose looking at the St. Thomas's and Dunlawy one, I just feel St. Thomas's, you know, their consistency over the last number of years, you know, in Galway Championship, but also at the All-Ireland Series stage, I just think that hurt that they will have felt from losing that semi-final to Ballyhale in, in February is going to stand to them, and I think their experience uh, will get them over the line, but no doubt Dunlawy are going to pose a huge uh, uh, threat to them as well. Um, in the second one, I think it's a toss of a coin, really. But if I was to say one over the other, I think Ballygunner. Um, I just think there's something 
um, even more impressive about them this mm-hmm. year. Um, as I said, there's that ruthless streak in them. And I think they, they really are going to back up that All-Ireland title that they just won a number of months ago. But look, for any, for as I've often said about whether it's a Kilkenny County team or a club team from Kilkenny, you know, a wounded cat is a dangerous animal. So um, Ballyhale will, will be there, thereabouts in the final stages. But for me, I think it'll be St. Thomas's versus Ballygunner in the final. Okay, Ursula Jacob, thank you uh, so much for joining us and I will see you in Croke Park tomorrow. Yes, RTE 2FM. Now, welcome back to Game On. It is time to talk rugby and I'm delighted to say that RTE Sports Michael Corcoran and Richard Martin of BBC Radio Gloucestershire are with me now on the line. Michael, to you first. Are you freezing over in the RDS for the big game between Leinster and Gloucester? I'm not Marie actually because I'm so layered up it's uh, rather <laughs> difficult to kind of even turn from left to right to be fair but if on a serious note I could pay tribute to the staff here at the RDS because they have mm-hmm. the heaters on in um, in an area of the pitch here just on this near side uh, from the touchline to the 15 metre line on one half of the pitch and uh, they certainly had hot air that was blowing out onto this sort of uh, touchline area there as well too just to make sure that everything is pretty much alright so they're Right on top of it, obviously the game here tonight at uh, 8 o'clock and there are strong rumours, um, oh. not that I want to be adding to them, that there might be a second match here tomorrow, uh, but um, we'll say nothing about that because I haven't checked my emails in the last while or so, but uh, there could be a second match here tomorrow, but they're, they're doing really, really good work. We're well layered up. I mean, Richard is a hardy man and he's come from, he's told me he's down in Munster for the last couple of days, so he's oh. even... Uh, Hardier stocked on there, so this is a soft on light here for the game. Okay, well, uh, we'll be keeping an eye on uh, whether that uh, Ulster game does get moved there tomorrow, but we definitely have a game there tonight anyway, that's for sure. And it's been a quite an interesting build-up, um, Michael, because of all of the changes that Gloucester made um, ahead of this game, 13 in total. Mm. And uh, let's be fair, it's a, it's a fairly weakened team now. To a degree it is, Jan, and some of those are uh, injury-enforced. Um, you know, uh, some of their players were injured in the game last week, but they're in a situation where there is a certain degree of squad rotation. But, um, you know, if you, like, Billy 12-3's coming in to start in the, in the, sec- in, in the centre doesn't necessarily weaken the team. Uh, Jake Palladri, the inter- inter- Italian international uh, back rows there, Albert Tuisui, the Fijian um, comes in to start as well and he only came on late in the match last week and, and was awarded the, uh, the player of the match so there are three examples of where the team is probably slightly stronger than they were last week but I take your point mm-hmm. uh, the sort of the depth underneath that isn't probably as strong and it's very unfair I, I don't mean of you but it's unfair of all of us to compare Gloucester to Leinster where Leinster are at this moment in time Gloucester it's a manage a, a job I would imagine of uh, managing resources Richard Skivington they've got a big game next week against Leicester they've got a win already in the competition and uh, generally if you get one win because of the shortened nature of the competition if you get one win and pick up another couple of points you make it to the knockout stages of the competition so they have the one win they have the five points from last week and um, look it's a roll of the dice if he went full locked and loaded here tonight and then expected his players to do the same thing coming up to Christmas. That's three massive weeks in a row for uh, Gloucester. And with the greatest respect to them, their, their squad is, is a mixture of solid international players and people coming through the academy. I mean, they're a solid club, solid team, good coach, and he's just got to manage his resources. Yeah, I guess it's when we look into the crystal ball, maybe in, in a few weeks' time, we'll have a better um, assessment of the decision. Um, Richard, to you, what we've been raising eyebrows here, I guess, is probably a good way to put it, but it seems there has been some uh, criticism, all right. What, what, what about you guys? What's been the reaction from the media and, and the public there? 
Yeah, I think it's a, it's a sort of mixed view, really. Uh, it's a, a feeling you, you're going across the Irish Sea to play Leinster, one of the strongest and most successful teams in the Heineken Cup European competition, you know, and the Irish sides over the years have played a, a huge part in building the status of this competition. Uh, you really need your absolute best team and be able to play your best form in order to, you know, have a good chance of success or even a small chance of success. Now, obviously, as Michael has said, there's been big changes since, since last week, some of which are enforced because of injury, some of which are to give younger players a chance. And the, in, the reality is the, the Gloucester squad doesn't have the huge depth that some of the other clubs have. And it's going to be a baptism of fire for some of the younger players, you know, when you see Leinster as a... Uh, an opposing supporter, Leinster just come at you in wave after wave with power and skill and all sorts of intricate moves. So I think that first 15-20 minutes is going to be critical. And also just, Richard, it is a very strong Leinster team that they've put out there and I understand there's a big game um, coming up very, very shortly for them. But if things don't go well and it is a, like it is a bad day at the office or a rough day at the office, is, is that damaging then for the players that are there and just in terms of building momentum heading into another big game? Not saying it's going to go like that, but if it does? No, that, that's right. And I, I think there have been examples in the past with Gloucester, but also other teams as well, you know, putting a, what might be de deemed a weaker team or a development team into that sort of really difficult situation. And if they lose by a big score, that can have a huge demoralising effect on the team but also particularly on the individuals who were involved and I think going back to George Skivington and his selection there, there's been mixed comments you know some people who've traveled over are really upset that we're not putting the best team out to you know challenge ourselves against Leinster other people are a bit more realistic but actually this time last year uh, a similar squad a similar team was sent over to play Lyon in France always difficult to go to France and put in any sort of performance and, and they came very close to winning that and it gave the younger players particularly a huge boost you know so we, we wait with bated breath you know and uh, <laughs> fingers crossed and everything else really um, okay guys look thanks so much for taking the time to join us uh, enjoy the game for sure stay warm Michael just one question to you before we go do you yeah. have one of those heated body warmers that I've seen Jackie Hurley and Bernard Jackman no, listen, about no listen you should know that the budget for the radio is way way smaller <laughs> than the television and on radio we we have to make do with layers and layers and layers <laughs> of stuff whereas in the television I mean, they've got um, loads of heated kind of things, a lot of gizmos, the whole lot. I mean, we're radio, we're miles behind. Right, well, if anybody got Michael Corker in his secret Santa, there's a perfect Christmas present. Uh, Michael and Richard, thank you so much. We're going to take a very quick break, but stay with us. Uh, we'll be back shortly with Jane Mangan. RTE 2FM. Yeah, welcome back. I am absolutely delighted to say that Jane Mangan is with us on the line. I thought the weather might put her off like it seems to be putting off a lot of the races, but here you are. Yeah, we're we're hardy though, Marie. You know, master of all all weathers, and you know, as a country, we don't really cope well with extremes. It we just don't. seems like yesterday we were talking about ground being too hard because <laughs> we haven't had any rain, and the forecast is so good for the prolonged future. Well, here we are. I sit in the car as we speak at a solid zero point zero degrees in Cork City. We love a good weather chat, that's for sure. So, Jane, what's the state of play this weekend? It, there will be no turf racing in the UK. Um, that has been called pretty early. We were due to have racing tomorrow at Fairy House that has been postponed. And uh, Navin and Turles 
for Sunday are subject to inspection. Um, basically, we're hoping that the temperatures might rise in time to give one of them, if not both of them, a chance to race on Sunday. Of course, the rescheduled Punchestown card, which was due to be staged last Sunday, so featuring the Grade 1 John Durkin, that has been rescheduled for Monday, and it sounds like the track are quite hopeful that, that will get the green light. I, I, my, my sympathy was with them last week because mm-hmm. they had attracted such a, a good field. Not all of the declarations have stood their ground, but we still have Fakir Duderis and Galopin Deschamps in the Grade 1, and I suppose it's, uh, that's the horse everybody wants to see out is Galopin Deschamps with a view to, to the spring festivals. And I was due to be at Nace on Thursday. That has been rescheduled for Tuesday. So hopefully we'll clear some of the backlog before the Christmas rush, because you know as soon as mm-hmm. in racing, as soon as some of us eat the dinner, some jockeys won't be eating any dinner. There will be a lot of racing from Limerick and and Leopardstown for the for the twenty sixth onwards. Yeah. Um. So the John Durkin is on the news channel and the player as well. That's if it goes ahead, which hopefully it will. Because Jane, if these things don't go ahead, it's difficult for the racetracks and everybody involved in the industry, really. Yeah, and I my sympathy is with racetracks because they've endured a horrid time with no ticket sales during the COVID period. Of course, they employ a lot of people ground staff and administrative staff and this is another sucker punch for them so I hope that they'll be able to hopefully get, get back some of the, the losses that they've incurred in the last couple of days and, and weeks um, and with a view to the future we know that these good horses, the real good ones have their season scheduled well in advance so if you take for instance William Mullins might have wanted to run Gallop and Deschamps at the beginning of December which is when it was scheduled and now he's two weeks or a week behind in his schedule with a view to his next couple of runs um, and look I, I know Nicky Henderson listening to him with his epitant was due to run uh, she didn't get a run uh, in the international hurdle at Cheltenham now she's being rerouted to maybe Kempton on Boxing Day and you know just, it's just a little bit of a it's really a real first world problem but it really throws their mm-hmm. ra- uh, racing schedule up in the air and as we see it these horses are athletes and they're on a strict program so their training programs have been thrown up in the air that's what I was going to ask Jane like obviously the superstars have their pathways almost planned out but just in terms of even the day to day running from a trainer's point of view of the stables and trying to keep the horses active and occupied is that really difficult as well unbelievable Alan and the staff who are riding the horses and bearing the cold that they are the heroes of the game really because we might run to the car or slip on the footpath but these are working on the horses and the horses can feel the cold so they will be fresh and they will be jumping around and telling me I want to go back into my stable and all these different things and the trainer then has to hopefully with their ground staff or themselves indeed and many of them will be doing it themselves keep the gallops from freezing so a horse can't exercise on solid fields which is earth grass Mm. can't exercise on solid sand which does freeze uh, or indeed wood chips. So if you exercise horses on something solid, then naturally they'll bruise their feet, they'll be lame, they'll be sore, and then you'll have nothing. So mm. it's, a, it's a real balancing act. Uh, I know Dundalk are staging their programme of races t- tonight. Fran Berry and Kevin O'Ryan are up there braving the cold. So obviously they have been consistently harrowing that surface, the all-weather surface, to get it to run tonight. So that takes a mammoth effort and it's a hard job. So Jane, you know, at, at home, at home, Marie, our biggest problem has been to keep 
the water troughs running oh, because right. the water in the pipes cool. that that obviously feed the water troughs to the horses in their stables and then in their sheds uh, have been frozen. Mm. And right. that that is something that people don't think about. That is incredibly hard work. Yeah, you've got very different problems at home now than I would have to say, Jane. <laughs> not that I can not, not that I can take any credit. My mom probably wa- at home. Jane, Marie wants her kids to freeze. <laughs> so, Jane, before we finish up, we're nearly out of time. Um, uh, at the start of this uh, World Cup, a month ago, a month ago, Alan Cawley gave you a tip. He gave you a team to follow. Um, you might have poo-pooed his uh, suggestion at times, <laughs> but look where we are now: Argentina in a final. What have you anything to say to Alan? I, I have been following them since that tip, since they got beaten by Saudi Arabia. And um, I, I, still think, I still think France might defend the crown, but I, uh, from, a, from, a, from a fan of sport, just watching Messi and knowing that this is probably his last World Cup, it's been a joy and I actually from somebody who doesn't watch soccer have really enjoyed it well Jane the way you go on about honeysuckle and we have to listen to everything <laughs> that's my messy so believe believe it's Messi's moment Jane is, that, yeah. is honeysuckle your messy is that um, 